Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Apalachicola. We pray that these messages challenge and encourage you. Now let's get into the Word together. And in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For the next few weeks on Wednesdays, I will not be speaking on Ephesians. I'm going to be speaking on pastoral ministry as the church prepares to uh, seek another pastor. I just kind of want to share some things from the Word of God on that. Uh, from your perspective, what is some of the responsibilities from the church and some things that you don't know from the pastor's point of view. <laughs> um, we may experience all, but we don't tell all. <laughs> There's a lot of things we experience that we don't speak about. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's open a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It's always true. And whether we like it or not, it's always true. And speak to us tonight concerning your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When we read uh, a little bit about what Paul, and, and uh, has anybody ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's a great book to read. Um, basically, it's somewhat historical as far as the writings of the historian Josephus and some of the other first century historians of how the early apostles, disciples of Jesus died and the only one that did not die from a martyr's death would have been John, who went to the island Patmos. God gave him revelation as he was caught up into the heavens. He wrote the book of Revelation. He sent it off the island. It was distributed among the churches. And then later on in John's life, he was actually freed from the island of Patmos, came back and died as an old man ministering the gospel. But all his fellow laborers were murdered, martyred for the faith, and uh, not exactly pleasant for today. Um, the pastoral ministry has changed a lot since then. Uh, Amen. Well, <laughs> it's not changed for the good. <laughs> uh, pastors typically today will do anything to please people to keep from persecution and trials. They're more people pleasers than they are God pleasers. Uh, but I do want to share a little bit of what Paul suffered, and it wasn't just Paul, but pastors from generations. Uh, do you, does anybody here know where Southern Baptist started? Where did Southern Baptist begin? In, the, in America. We don't want to go all the way back to the Anabaptists because uh, there is the, called the Trail of Blood and I have a little have trouble with that because that traces all the way back to John the Baptist and I'm going, come on, guys. 
So there was a group um, that when they left Europe and came in to the States, they came into Pennsylvania, and they were considered a cult, and they were heavily persecuted because, number one, they did not baptize until someone had evidence of salvation. So they didn't baptize infants. Uh, they didn't baptize someone, uh, what we call uh, the halfway covenant. Halfway covenant are prominent people who wanted to be a member of the church without being saved. And so pastors, uh, Anglican church, some of the other churches that were prominent in the North uh, United States were baptized. Not, uh, baptizing and making church members of non-converts, non-Christians. And it was called the Halfway Covenant. And if you want to read about that, you read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, it is a phenomenal read uh, by Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You can go online, download it, and read it. It's long but he preached against the halfway covenant. And through that sermon, multitudes, it kicked off a, a, a revival. Uh, but from the, but it, it kicked a revival off, but at the same time, he fell under great persecution, was fired, and didn't pastor after that because of, of the abuse that he took for holding the stand, two stands, number one, you only baptize people who have evidence of salvation. And second, baptism is only by immersion. All the groups prior to that was baptizing by flipping, dipping, spitting on, you know, whatever, you know, pouring the water over their head. But there was this group of people who took on the name Baptist because they believed in immersion. And not immersion of babies, not immersion of children, but immersion of anyone who showed evidence that they have had a salvation experience. And this started in Pennsylvania, and the persecution they faced was tremendous. Many died. In those days, they died. We're talking 1700s. They died by the other groups. They were murdered if they did not stop and they were ran out and they went down to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, this group, and they thought, well, we can establish ourselves there and, and you know, start growing. They fell under the same persecution as a cult. And there was a cult over two issues, baptism by immersion and baptism by those who show evidence of salvation. Only. Only. They left there. And they went into Charleston, South Carolina, got a foothold and began to grow, and they were just known as Baptists. And so the Baptist movement began to grow. But then came the war. And the Baptists, typically in the South, had a lot of them had slaves. They were middle, upper people, middle class, upper class, and they had slaves, a lot of them, plantations. And when the war broke out, then there was a split, and the split uh, caused the Southern Baptists and the, they called them the Northern Baptists at the time, Southern Baptists and Northern Baptists. Well, the Northern Baptists have changed their name over the years to American Baptists. Uh, quite liberal congregation, 
uh, denomination, quite liberal. And so the Southern Baptists got their start in Charleston, uh, South Carolina, as far as really growing and becoming, and their key was evangelism. Leading people to Jesus, baptizing them after proof of salvation, and baptism by immersion only. And so that's the history of how we grew over the years and became the largest denomination at one point. We were about 17 million. Uh, today, they say we're about 15 million on the books, but they can only find about 7 million. So the other 8 million, probably some of them are dead and still on the books. And a lot of them have left for other denominations, which we don't move our membership to like a Pentecostal church or something like that. So they're just, they're just going to be Baptists, even though they'll never come back in a Baptist church. So we used to be the world's largest Protestant denomination. And now we're second to the Assembly of God, which is the fastest growing Protestant group right now. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said uh, in verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure. And so by saying that he could qualify stripes, he's saying, I know that they've had stripes, but I've had more. And so he's actually saying, I'm not the only one being persecuted. I'm not the only one who's had uh, things happen to me because of the gospel. He said, by stripes, um, um, above measure in prisons, more frequent in deaths, often of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered uh, shipwreck, a night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own, uh, look at this, in perils of my own countrymen. Okay. In perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among the false brethren. So he says, even among the churches that I've pastored, I suffered persecution from false brethren, those who came in and claimed to know Jesus Christ, but they didn't. In weariness, painfulness, watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily and the care of all the churches. He said, this, he said that added to him, the care of all the churches and, and all the times that he had to fast and stuff. So when we're dealing with pastoral ministry, and let me give you some statistics. I just took off the line. These are new statistics concerning pastors. Uh, if you take all the Protestant denominations, this is some of the statistics. It says 25% of pastors are terminated sometime in their ministry. One-fourth of all the pastors have been fired from a church. Why? Why? Because they're not teaching the Well, uh, no, not necessarily. It, it's more prone to the churches don't like truth more than they're teaching false doctrine. In a, in a sense, so... Right. 
So 33% of all churches have fired a pastor. If you take all the churches in America, one-third of them have fired a pastor sometime in its history. That's a lot. 90% of pastors said the hardest thing they had to deal with is uncooperative, unteachable church members. It's the hardest part. We would think it's the attack of the enemy. We would think the labor just being worried and tired. Uncooperative church members. Unteachable church members. 90% of the pastors said this is our biggest problem. Wow. 70% of pastors feel grossly underpaid. Not just underpaid. Grossly underpaid. 70%. 80% of the pastors say that their ministry had a negative impact on their children. As an example, I can look right here. When we met and I told her, I said, you need to know this. If we get married, you just need to know this. God's called me to preach. She wanted nothing to do with it because she saw how her mom and dad were treated in the ministry before we got married. And, and it was only because I was ready to break up with her as much as I loved her. I was going to break up with her simply because there was an issue on calling in the ministry. And then she says, yes, I'll stand with you in the ministry. But she saw it from her mom and dad's point of view. Then she's seen it in our ministry to, to where I've had people, actually had people come in the church, church member, come in the church, take his shoes off, I mean, take his glasses off and, and unbutton his shirt and was ready to whip me and in the middle of the church, ready to fight me. And I stood face to face with him and I said, you get two hits. I said, you're going to hit me in the cheek, I'm going to turn the cheek and you go hit me and then God's going to kill you right here in front of everybody. And he turned around and ran out of the church because I firmly believed that that was going to happen. And that scared the daylights out of him because I stood on that belief. Scared him. The guy came into, to, uh, I was in a restaurant Guy came in a restaurant. We just had a joint service between blacks and whites, and we were having a meal together in a restaurant. And a guy, a member of the KKK, came in the restaurant and said, We're going to burn a cross on your church property. KKK. And I jumped up and I said, I'll tell you something. He said, Y'all set foot on my church property. I guarantee you one thing. I said, God will strike you dead. They never, ever set foot on the property. And it was, it, if, a pastor had it been less, if he got scared, if he'd been less uh, sure that God was going to take care of it, they would have done it. But I was fully convinced that if they'd have touched me or their church, that God was going to take them out. So, 65% of pastors quit before retirement. You know one of the things I'm hearing from churches all around the place? We can't find a pastor. The schools are pumping them out left and right, you know, and, but we can't find a pastor because it costs, they can't keep up. There's more pastors quitting before retirement than the schools are putting out. That's sad. 80% of pastors feel left out. I mean, excuse me, 80% of the pastor's wives feel left out of the church family and feel unappreciated. When uh, churches have called me throughout our whole ministry, they always ask, it says, does your wife play piano? I go, nope. 
says, does she, does she teach Sunday school? Nope. I said, my wife's not going to teach anything. She's not going to play anything. She's not going to lead anything. She's going to not do anything because she has a full-time job standing my side and taking care of me and ministering to me when I come home feeling like I've got the load of the church on my shoulders. And so I never let the church put burden on her. I said, now, if she feels led to teach or something, I said, I'd never stop her. But I would never force her. I never let the church family force her. My kids saw some of the things that Debbie and I went through in ministry close to here, just in Wakulla County. And it affected them greatly. And not from what the Word of God says, but in their belief and trust in Christians. That it damages, you know, when you get beat up inside the church, it's hard to start tr trusting one another in the body. The church is supposed to be a place that we love one another and that we encourage one another. It's not the place where, where we get beat up and there's some, some good books out. One of them is called Healing the Wounded. And it's a book all written all about how to heal the, the, the church wounded that have been beat up within the body of Christ. 50% of pastors report a serious conflict with a church member at least once a month. 50% of the pastors says we have a serious conflict with a church member at least once a month. Now, I'll give you those statistics because we need to look and see some of the things that the Word of God says. Go to Galatians. When y'all get ready to call on a pastor, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of stuff to teach over the next couple of weeks and that. Um... He needs certain responsibilities. There are certain things that a pastor needs to do, but how does a church... Do you know that God takes it serious when a church member attacks a pastor? I mean, that's a serious thing. Can't you compare it to David King Saul? Yes, absolutely. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 6, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. In other words, um, there needs to be feedback. There needs to be, when, when the word of God is being taught, uh, how do I know if any learning is taking place? If I, if I teach for an hour, it doesn't mean any learning has taken place. What's that? It needs to echo back. One of the things that, that uh, I enjoy when I hang around Patrick, he's been with me now. He was with me for two years up there and two years here, four years now, is it's homo logo. Homo is a Greek word. Homo logo is a Greek word. Homo means same. Logo means word. Same word. What you're saying is what I'm saying. When I hear him echo the things that I've been teaching, then it, it's, a, it's an encouragement to me. When I see Christians walking it out, it's, it's encouragement. You know, it tells me, wow, somebody is listening to at least something, you know. And Paul went on, and, and not just Paul, but the other disciples. In fact, when Paul... Uh, uh, ordained Timothy and set him up in the church, and, you know, which is another whole thing about 
how we set pastors up. But when Paul set Timothy up in the church in, in, second, in uh, second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, he, he said, Paul teaching Timothy who will teach others that will teach others. So we need to find, every Christian needs to find somebody to mentor. And how do you know that that person's right? Well, you give them the truth and you say, and I'll give you six months to share that with somebody. And if they don't, then you need to find somebody else. Because, uh, and, and it's the same thing with a pastor, you know, if I just keep giving something and y'all keep coming to the table and I keep giving it and you keep it, and you never, and there's never an outlet to anybody. You never share it with anybody. How do you know when a pond gets stagnant, it has an input and no output? You know, that word needs to have an output. And so Paul told Timothy, he said, you find somebody to teach who's going to teach somebody else. Okay. Now, First um, Timothy chapter 5 1 Timothy chapter 5. I have never served on a pulpit committee, pastor search committee. I was asked years ago when uh, I was in a church where the pastor was, he violated just about every principle from the word of God. And he uh, did some things that were unethical. And the deacons wanted to get rid of him. So they came to me. And I'm, I was in the military. I'm 22, 23 years old. And I'm going like, I'm a new kid on the block. I'd only been saved for a couple years. And they said, well, we're, we, we want to get rid of our pastor. And all the deacons were over 65 years old. We're 22, 23 years old. Just, you know, we've only been in the church for a couple months. And we agreed that this pastor had violated just about every principle in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus of qualifications of a pastor. Plus, he kissed the piano player. His wife played the piano, but she wasn't the piano player. <laughs> and we saw that and was like, ow, that wasn't cool. So we had a meeting. It was all the deacons. And the pastor called the associational missionary to be on his side. And I'm sitting at the end of the table, and the pastor's sitting at the other end of the table with the, with the director of missions, and the deacons are lined up on sides. So the associational missionary and the pastor says, we understand y'all have a problem here. The pastor said, I understand y'all got a problem with me. The associational missionary says, what charge do y'all have against this pastor? And I'm waiting for the deacons. And they all in one accord looked at me. And that just like, I'm going, holy smoke. So I just opened up the first Corinthians, I mean first Timothy, and I began to read the qualifications of a pastor, went to Titus, read the qualifications of a pastor, and I said, sir, I said, it breaks my heart to have to do this because I would never want to touch one of God's anointed. I said, but you have no right to be serving as a pastor anywhere until you repent. And you could have heard a pin drop in that place. Then the deacons began to bring the things that they saw. Now, things that you see is different than things you hear. Amen. We're not to bring an accusation against one of God's anointed. An accusation is like, 
let's suppose that this person saw me do something and told this person who told this person, then this person comes to rebuke me and correct me. And I'm going, did you see or hear that? It's just hearsay. You go find the person who saw me and hear me, let them come with another witness to me. But hearsay should never be brought. An accusation should never be brought against a pastor. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse uh, 17, Let the elders that rule well be, con be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. Uh, this is how to take care in all ways, especially financially, of a pastor. He's worthy of double portion. And if he, if he brings the word of God to you and teaches you, then he's worthy of that. Now, I've never complained or anything about, you know, y'all's salary to me or anything because that's what I agreed to. Um, uh, and for a small church, y'all guys did well, you know. Um, Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So, obey them that rule over you. There is an authority that God places on a pastor. Um, one of the things I think is missing today is the respect and honor of pastors that people just don't respect. One of the hardest things, if, uh, just give me a scenario. Let's just suppose God puts Jeff in as the next pastor of this church. I'm just giving you a scenario. Guess what he's going to be to y'all guys? Jeff. To the most of you. He's just going to be Jeff. It's going to be hard for y'all to switch, especially family members, to start calling him pastor. But see, if you get honor, you have to give honor. That which you give is what you get. And and uh, he's always going to be, be viewed, you know, because, and say, well, how can you say that, pastor? Because did you know that every place that the Lord Jesus Christ went, he was referred to as master, rabbi, teacher, Lord, until he went back to his hometown? Then he was just called Jesus. Carpenter's son. The carpenter's son. Because a prophet had no honor in his own home. It was the only place where he wasn't called master, lord, teacher, rabbi, was when he went back home. And so it would be difficult. Now, I believe that God's going to use this man, this woman, mightily in the future somewhere. And, and I know that you know, your mom and dad would just be brokenhearted if y'all guys took off somewhere pastoring a church. <laughs> but I, God's hands on you. And I believe he's going to use you. And, and it's, it's been sweet to watch the growth in y'all guys in two years. It's just been nice. It's been really blessed my heart. Uh, 
but you'll always be Jeff here. <laughs> you know, we're going to ordain this guy on the 14th. Is that the date? The 14th? Yeah. I got called last night, and, and uh, our associational missionary, Troy, was supposed to be here to help me. And he, got call, he called me, and he said, Brother, I made the cardinal mistake. I double booked. He said, Can I be released? And I, I released him. He said, Thank you for your, your grace. You know. So he can't be here, but we still do it. You know. I, I'm, uh, he's sad about not being here, and he told me to, to relay that to you. You know, but we can still do it, and we're going to have a dinner after that, and fellowship, and but it'll be a great service. But I will get somebody to assist me and to help me in doing that, uh, and looking forward to it. It is a great honor to be set apart uh, under the Lord, the calling. It, it's not the church called him, and I didn't call him. God called him, and he's known it for a long time, and Cassie's known it for a long time. It's just that now it's recognized He's, he's in the process of being trained. He's been trained and he's processed. And he's a great communicator of the Word of God. He's a great teacher. He's a good preacher. So, um, in uh, 1 Timothy, uh, back to, back to uh, chapter 5 again. In 1 Timothy chapter 5. And... Uh, we read... Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 and 18. Uh, I want to read now 19 because I was talking about bringing an accusation. Verse 19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three, what? Witnesses. Hearsay, gossipers, witnesses. Do not receive an accusation. Somebody comes to you with an accusation against an elder and they didn't witness it. They are the accuser of the brethren. They are an instrument of Satan being used to serp authority over that pastor. Verse 20, it says, Them that sin rebuke before all, that the others may also fear. So, if it happens, there is a consequence. Now go to First uh, Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. So these are just a couple of the scriptures, and and then we'll get into our special business meeting here in First Thessalonians chapter five. Um, and starting with verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So know them, get to know them. The ones that God has put in and, and it keeps going back over. You know, there's a, God calls pastors shepherds for a reason. Um, Six sheep don't follow the pastor, the shepherd. Six sheep don't follow a shepherd. When, when sheep want to go their own way, there's a sickness there. There's something going on. 
And he says, uh, to, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. So to esteem them, lift them up, encourage them that labor over you. Now, years ago, uh, I got beat up pretty bad in a church uh, years and years ago. And um, I took it pretty personal. And when I took it personal, guess what I did? I ministered out of a wounded heart. And guess what happens? Hurt people hurt people. So then I began to preach out of a hurt heart. And so uh, then I found a scripture. Don't you love it when God just takes you somewhere? And... So David was getting beat up. David was getting beat up pretty bad. You know, you know, Saul wanted to kill him. Then, you know, he thought maybe he'd take a rest. Then his own son wanted to kill him. And so David spent a lot of time hiding out in the cave. Here's what it said. See, so first Saul wanted to kill him. Then his son wanted to kill him. Then the whole community, his whole kingdom, wanted to kill him. The people wanted to take David out. And here's, here's what he said. He encouraged himself in the Lord. David learned to encourage himself in the Lord. What's that? I like that. Yes. So he, he learned how, when all heck is going on out here, he learned how to go in and just really come to peace with no matter what was going on, to encourage and build himself up. If he wasn't getting it from anybody out here, because guess what? You want, you want me to make Cassie mad? Let me just beat up on Jeff a little bit here. Let me just start attacking him. Because all of a sudden, the, the wife, you know, they start rising up to the surface, you know, and, and the hairs on the back of her neck start standing up and, and start doing that, you know, Miss June thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's, and it, it wars on then. So he comes home and he's beat up. You ever come home beat up from work? <laughs> no, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you have to come home unload on her a little bit? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did she get a little riled and stuff, some of it? Mm. Mm. She gives me support. Yeah. Did she, but did she ever want let me go down there and have a talk with her. Sometimes when I got beat up, like I spent those first churches, I come home and share with her. And she was offended. She'd get she was ready to go and have some wall-to-wall -wall counseling with somebody, you know. So it affected the whole family, you know. And, and so when we're talking about, you know, when, uh, when pastors uh, come under attack, it's not just limited to them. It got to the place, you know, in this one church up north that I had to keep stuff from her. I had to not say anything. Just me and the Lord just go in the closet and handle it and drive around the block a few times before I got home, you know, and... And she'd go, how's your day? Everything's fine. Everything's good. You know, it's all good. You know, couldn't tell her anything, you know, and let her hear it from the other people. Because if you heard it from me, she was like, war's on, you know. Uh, so pastors, pastors take a beat. Do you understand that the enemy hates Christians? Amen. He hates Christians. Guess what he hates more than Christians? 
Christian leaders. Hates Christian leaders. If he can get the pastor, if he can get them to compromise, if he can get them in hurt status, if he can get them walking in unforgiveness, if he can get them beaten up, it's going to damage the church. It's going to split the church. Y'all guys faced that. You know, back years ago from a, from a pastor who came and ministered, and he ministered from a, from a wounded heart. And, and it hurt the church. You know? And it hurt the community. So you've experienced what I'm telling you. Hurt people, hurt people. Um, when we talk about calling a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll close here in a second. And uh, you've heard that before, right? Yeah. It's one of the biggest lies of a pastor, right? I'm almost finished. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1. This is a true saying, if a man desires the office of a bishop, that word bishop is interchangeable to elder, pastor, shepherd. So if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Do you desire the office of a pastor? Yes, sir. You know why you desire that? God put that desire in there. Yes, sir. It's not something that just... Dreamt up. I woke up one morning and said, hey, I think I'll be a pastor. God puts that desire. And then he says, I give you the desires of your heart. You know why God gives you the desires of your heart? Because he puts that desire there. You know? He says, uh, a bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not striker, not uh, greedy, a filthy lucre. In other words, preaching for the sake of money. Uh, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Uh, for if a man knoweth not how to rule his own house, how shall he care for the church of God? Not a novice or young, young believer, uh, least being lifted up with pride, he fall into the commendation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, least he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Then he goes in likewise and gives the qualifications of a deacon, which are very similar to that. So we're going to be tonight talking about uh, doing a pastor search committee. And we're going to pass out pieces of paper to do that. I can't even begin to tell you how important that job is. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Now, if I... If I remember correct, um, in the church policy, you can't vote for, what's that? The chairman, of the, deacons the chairman of the deacons or the president or the vice president cannot vote for the pastor search committee. <laughs> can't be on it, you know. Later, yeah. I mean, later I can have an average vote. You can vote, but you can't be on the committee. Right. Right. It's what I mean. They can't serve on the committee. Yeah. On the pastor search committee. And uh, to me, you know, I, uh, I'd like to see y'all get a constitution and bylaws committee and change that because what person better to go and look for a pastor but somebody that God's called to be a pastor and have studying the, the requirements of a pastor? What better person, you know, to be on it? And, 
and and what better person to be on it than the president and vice president of the corporation and the and the and the uh, I think I'll be people with the finance committee, the people with uh, the most experience of the life and the workings of the church. But you know, so um, that's my personal opinion. Doesn't mean anything, but it's just it. There's no because because none of this none of this is the way they do it. And here's how they do it in the Bible. Group needs a pastor. The apostle picks the pastor, sets him before the church, said, this is your pastor. Every one of them. You can't find anywhere with congregational vote and stuff, but it's a system that the church is under. So uh, you live by it because that's what you got. You know, that's your system. So you live by it. You know, I, I've never been in a church where we've done that. I've always appointed the next pastor when I left. and uh, So this will be the first one. think they just probably did it and probably wasn't looking at the policy or something, church policy. You know? Yeah. We can ignore the policy. I'm okay with it. <laughs> so. <laughs> what she's saying that there were people who were on the... Yeah. We didn't follow the code. Yeah. Well, it takes, um, you have to have a committee. If I remember correct, you have to have a committee. It's called a Constitution Bylaws Committee. They have to review the Constitution Bylaws, and then they have to bring the, the change before the church, and it's about a two- or three-month process. It isn't something that can be done overnight. But it is something that needs to be looked at in the church policy for the future of the church. It's not meant to be changed tonight or anything, but it's something to look at. And, uh, and basically, everybody who's a member ought to have a right to the policy book to look at it and go, hmm, why do we do this? And then bring it before the church's attention so that maybe some things can be changed. We just, we just function week by week not knowing how we function or why or why decisions are made and until something important comes up and we go, well, why can't we do this? Well, because the bylaw says you can't. <laughs> well, I'm sure there was a reason at one time. There probably was a reason at one time, but... You know, yeah, life changes and we move on. So, Pastor, I want to appreciate you uh, educating this group of believers on how to handle this situation that we're facing. I, you didn't have to do that. Yeah. You could have took the easy way. Walk appreciate out, walk out, and say, "Y'all got it." See you, adios. <laughs> I appreciate. You know, appreciate it. That. It uh, it would break my heart. It would it would break my heart if y'all. Um, I have been I have been to a church that now I believe God called me to the church this particular church uh, it was in another country so it's in not not this church yeah I'm okay. I believe God called me to this church and uh, but their prerequisite from their side was let's just find somebody who will preach for this much money. And that was it. 